Welcome to The Last American Vagabond. Joining me yet again today to discuss one of her new, really interesting and, and kind of staggering threads in regard to information coming out, planning, big surprise around COVID-19 from InQtel in particular. Joining me today is Destiny Resendez, independent researcher. She's been doing some really, really great work on Twitter, breaking down some points around a lot of different things, in fact. But the things we recently discussed also had to do with contracts and information re- regarding COVID-19 foreknowledge, kind of the overlap with the military side of this. So I'm excited to have her back on today to dive through this recent thread that uh, is pretty interesting. I have to admit, as I was going through this, I'm I'm it's almost like uh, maybe, you know, has anybody else talked about this anywhere else? Because it's so amazing how these things just come out of nowhere. It's just no. control flow of information, right? So I'm glad you're here doing this. Yeah, no, they hide, they tried to hide it, and I, I didn't publish that because I didn't have the proof. But now I have all the, uh, the the proof that they absolutely tried to scrub this off the Internet. Uh, so, yeah, it was a miracle. I found it, really. Yeah. First and foremost, how are you? Nice to have you back on the show. I'm doing well. Thank you. I hope you're doing well. Thank you for having me. Absolutely. Absolutely. I, I really do value the, the threads that you put together on, on your Twitter account. Do you have anything else, by the way, a Substack or another place? Have you built that yet? Or I just started a Substack. Like I'm brand Good. new. And you know what prompted me to get a Substack? I watched one of your recent shows and you had on that the ex-military guy who, who just got out. The, it was a great episode, by the way. It was an amazing interview. I, I loved it. That was probably one of the best ones I've seen this year. And um, he, it inspired me. I was like, I got to see his Substack, and I was like, I need a Substack. I do have a website, uh, the Dez says, um, D E Z S A Y S dot com. Uh, it's a blog. It's what essentially will be what my Substack will become. So, okay, great. Well, make sure and throw those to me before we, when we're done, and I'll include them in the show notes for everybody to check out. I, I do. I think Substack is a, is a, it's at the very least it's so far shown itself to stand by independent, you know, creators and, and free speech and so on. So I'm glad you're doing that. Cause yeah, I, th- I hope your work gets, you know, the reach it deserves. So <laughs> let's, let's, let's talk about um, this, this general thread. And I've got the document pulled up here as well. So th- this is uh, in QTEL ultimately that's for people that don't know, it's sort of like the business front It's CIA being honest <laughs> about what we're talking about here. Round table report, leveraging digital health technologies during large scale epidemics, December, 2019. So start wherever you want. I've got the thread pulled up. It is, ultimately, this is kind of foreknowledge planning about a lot of different factors that took place during COVID-19, almost exactly, or the illusion therein. Okay. Well, the document was a document that came out at some point in December after the 5th. We know that because it states that it was covering the December 5th roundtable that NQTEL held amongst their own people, people from their B Next laboratory, which is is just a one of their many laboratories they have so different um, than event 201 but a similar kind of action oh th- this how it played out it's just it's startling it's exactly like event 201 and it's connected to event 201 mm-hmm. within a, a very strong tie the man who scripted event 201 who was head of the executive writing and planning team eric toner from johns hopkins university center for health security he drafted the event 201, he's the lead on that. And he also drafted another paper I recently covered called um, Preparing for the Respiratory Pandemic Pathogen paper by Global Preparedness Monitoring Board, which was uh, head by Anthony Fauci. All three of these documents that I'm referencing are, you know, event 201, Global Preparedness Monitoring Board, and this document all came out the last couple months of 2019. And uh, the... <laughs> 
<laughs> the repercussions of it look horrible because a I know that they tried to hide it. Why would you try to hide a white paper? And why would you claim no attribution? And when they say no attribution agreed on a paper, it means that it's not going to show up on a CV. So if I were to type in the title of it, usually you could type in titles of papers and it'll come up to somebody's CV associated in their resume and you'll find it. This, they specifically said not to do that and that they had agreed upon it beforehand. Which that is tells me strange it, for mm -hmm. typically these things are par paraded around and, you know, like we saw with Event 201. So I agree with you on that. It's, they didn't want people to know they were involved. I, I get the kind of the point, right? Mm -hmm. And uh, I could send you the link to what, if you were to try to get to this page, because the way they have it now, they've removed it from NQTEL's website. What they do have is from the same time period in December, 2019, they reference to Christopher Darby's um, audio podcast he did with, with um, the CIA's new uh, I guess they have a podcast and uh, that's what they're doing with all our money. It's wonderful. Um, <laughs> and uh, so the link to that, and it also referenced to that paper, but never they, they, after they deleted it, you won't, you can't find it. It's broken links and uh, get the forbidden sign. And they tried to scrub it real good. So I've archived it five times on the archives. So, uh, and I have hard copies, so, you know, it's a, it's incredible how much that is happening. Even maybe even on the arc, maybe not, if did this happen to you on the archive where those were removed, even though you archived them? I've been seeing that um, well. not these ones in particular yet, but I have been an avid archiver, and there has been a really terrible trend lately mm -hmm. of just things deleted, just magically disappearing from my archives. I had thousands, and I'm down to a couple hundred now. Mm. Um, it's just so. everywhere with even corporate media altering titles, changing content with no updates, no, you know, they're not even following their own classic journalistic, you know, integrity. You know, they, they just yeah. completely change things. And you're right. The links are changing, especially for those that like doing what you're doing as you, you know, go back to 2020 and start, oh, let's find that old document we had. Oh, weird. It's now it's no longer there. It, it's it's everywhere. So, yeah. so I'm looking for AI. AI has been very helpful in finding documents, which is great. Really interesting. So what, how, how so? You mean in regard to like an app, at, like an application, like a chat GPT? Oh, yeah. Of? Like like search engines. Um, there's a great AI called Perplexity that I use quite often that it's like chat GPT, but you get it's up to date real time. They do a much deeper dive, I think, than chat GPT does. And it gives you the link references for any answer it gives you. And they're they're not just the run of the mill Google ones they're just they're really good so those will usually lead you at least in the right direction to find the source documents that you need that's so. interesting you know i i have to be honest i'm wildly concerned about that i'm just like i'm not even sure if i can contextualize why exactly i'm so adverse to that but i'm just like anything a artificial intelligence but here's a great example of what we always talk about right how the internet, for example, is the classic example, right? This was a DARPA project yeah. and I doubt they envisioned it being used the way it is today. And, or like the, you have the blockchain argument that you could see how these things can definitely benefit you in ways, oh, yeah. of even fighting back. So that's an interesting point. Yeah. But I do it with caution. I, you know, cause yeah. I'm very anti transhumanism. I'm pro natural human. I, you know, if I didn't know that it, I got a wealth of information on the computer and in the internet that would help slow down their agenda i would never use it if it didn't if it didn't aid in that particular endeavor so right right take well, with that, you, i guess yeah well your work is very clear in that regard it's not like anyone's going to choose you accuse you of being a transhumanist or technocratic hope not. yeah <laughs> i hope not 
So let, let's bring this back to to the you know name the name in general, like the the idea of leveraging digital health technologies during large scale epidemics. So how do you place this in the context of everything else? Like how do you see NQTELs meeting about this? playing into this is this foreknowledge is this planning in regard to what happened is it kind of like because what i see as i go through this is you see overlaps everywhere you can get into mm-hmm. the 5g aspect the you know the idea that ultimately what played out is just like with event 201 by the way is it's almost right identical. there yeah right so there this gave far more specifics in terms of actionable um things that were would occur during covid that that nobody, uh, unless you were a particular virologist that had ideas of diseases that hadn't even arisen yet, and you were doing gain of function or dual research use of concern, and you were trying to guess how a pathogen was going to maneuver in a society that you were that was novel, unless you were in that particular field with that particular interest, you you wouldn't have the kind of insights. Uh, Event two hundred one was more like more like a story it was more like a like reading a script to a play like a yeah. like a high school play and you everyone had their part and their role and it was kind of theatrical right. and it really was uh this was far less theatrics there is no cameras and they're sitting at a table pretending to watch the fake news about it no no, no. there was none of the theatrics this was straight business it was 100 percent business um and the way that they delivered it there's certain things in there including what what they term it as being, you know, a newly emerging, possibly, you know, bioweapon pathogen that could cause an outbreak of a spectrum of illness. That really bothered me mm-hmm. that they mentioned it could present as nothing at all or really severe. And um, that's not every outbreak. That's that's very few. Well, for well, There's no like small Ebola, for instance. <laughs> I would say or any like I would say yeah. historically, we've never seen an idea where like even the concept of an asymptomatic respiratory virus, that's never existed before. So yeah. I would say the idea that they would present this as something that has never happened before is a pretty good indication that they're either planning it or see something we don't foreknowledge. Or they should buy lottery tickets because they yeah. really, <laughs> right. I mean, I don't know how they could have guessed that. And they also, you know, said that because there would be such a need for particularly hospitalizations not just visits but being hospitalized and that they would have to turn people away for basic conventional care in order to facilitate only the most sick and that they would enforce or at least you know encourage self-testing self-triage at home taking care of yourself unless you're on death's door and then you can go to the hospital and then they'll treat you and that we didn't see, I've never seen until COVID, where they right. said, stay at home and die until you're just about to die, and then come here and we'll, we'll let you die. <laughs> that is not normal. It's not normal. It's not It's not standard care. And they say it's not conventional care in the paper. They call it crisis care. And, you know, they what do they call this? The COVID crisis. And it's like, there's, there's not, coincidences are one thing. Conspiracy theories are another thing. And... This is something all on its own. This is just, yeah. I can't ignore it. And the ties with InQtel um, to the manufacturers of the COVID-19 vaccines, which was right. what my last one was about, mm-hmm. heavy into InQtel. Um, National Resilience, who is uh, the maker for the Moderna vaccine, the only maker for the COVID-19 vaccine for Moderna, that company was inspired by an InQtel member, not just a member, a VP her name's Luciana Barrio. She's a Johns Hopkins graduate. She is a intelligence community extraordinaire. She's on 
the Operation Warp Speed panel of experts. She was involved 100% Council of Foreign Relations. She's your typical Washington, D.C. spook. And she's really brilliant. That's the scary thing. She's a very intelligent woman. And, um, you know, she is, however, very much in the mindset that you have to support this agenda. She wrote letters to the president stating just that. You know, we have to mask up. She wanted to mask children. This is a mother, uh, which I personally thought was offensive. Mm. And with Luci- Luciana Barrio connected to it and her ties to Johns Hopkins, that's already a problem for me because then event 201 with Eric Toner, who wrote it, also Johns Hopkins. And the third person in that paper from Johns Hopkins is Tara O'Toole, yeah. NQTEL um, executive vice president. Uh, president she is one of the well most well-known script writers for doomsday scripts there is she wrote um crimson contagion she mm-hmm. wrote dark winter like she hand drafted those so she is an expert in this and she does it usually the theatrical way like event two one i was surprised i didn't see her name in that but um to have her on this board of you know fairly short you know list of names uh, that was telling. So we have three people from the same center at Johns Hopkins. Two of those are in QTEL. One of them is also HHS, uh, Luciana Barrio. Tara O'Toole's been implicated in the Ukrainian biolabs and Metabiota uh, by the Russian Ministry of Defense back in February of this year. I covered that as well. Um, they named her and one other doctor particularly by name that they found in documents linked to a company called Farm Biotest in Ukraine. And um, she was named in a Louis von Thayer from Battelle was named in that report by um, uh, Ivan Kurilov, the general for Russian Ministry of Defense. And so that was a red flag, seeing her name pop up. And of course, NQTEL funds Metabiota, which is the company that, of course, Tarot Tools connected to in Ukraine. And so you have this Hunter Biden connection coming in. And the creepy part about it is there's also this Georgetown University thing that comes up every time I look into the COVID anything, disease surveillance, you'll always get a thread back to Georgetown, which most people uh, in D.C. will tell you it's a it's the CIA's like preschool. This is, this is where you go. Yeah. And um, there's bad ties with that too. Hunter Biden graduated from Georgetown University. So did George Tennant, who was one of the executive vice prince or vice presidents of NQTEL. Um, NQTEL worked extensively with them a long time ago in the Palantir days. Mm. So um, another NQTEL, you know, favorite of theirs. Right. And on Palantir, one of the co-founders, Joe Lonsdale, um, along with Alex Karp, but Joe Lonsdale in particular is also on the board for Resilience, the manufacturer for the COVID-19 vaccine for Moderna. Right. So, and so is Robert Nelson, who sits on the board of Council of Foreign Relations, who's best friends with uh, Luciana Barrio, who is credited with admitting that it was all her idea. And hmm. it was because of her deep intelligence and government pockets, that they were able to get that $800 million government startup money. So, yeah, it's too much. <laughs> it's yeah. Too much. Well, I mean, I want make sure you guys check out our last interview. This was a really great interview with, with Destiny and, and the point about the resilience company, but the, the, the larger picture that this paints, the military intelligence hidden hand, as we, we titled it, driving the COVID injections. And now with this next part of this right now, broadening this out into the previous overlaps, like the idea being you could always make the broad argument that somehow, you know, they all are in the same 
schools or same areas and they go to the same colleges like but when you when you find this connection of like this again the cia involved the military overlap in general with the medical direction is alarming but then the fact that they're outlining this in ways that are far too specific and then you've got the overlaps of literal people involved with the creation of the injection it's there's just too much i I agree with you just far too much to, to ignore right there and and our audience is very well aware with people like tarot tool and the overlap oh, yeah. of all of this it it is really really incredible to see so i'm glad you're you're on this now the one what the one point i want to focus on or a couple of them to take from that okay. specific part is in regard to the the medical side of this arguing that 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 like we see the protect the nhs our argument in the uk we saw these kind of narratives float out a lot and in this document they're literally talking about that the system is not prepared to take what a hypothetical like they, who knows what this will become but we're not how you already somehow know the system's not ready yeah. to take it and and ha, my argument would be right there is that well why don't you then make it better <laughs> why why don't, why do you leave it in a way that you know is not prepared right so could, could you touch on that weird dynamic there because i think that's an important one yeah it really is because it, it shows that they already have this kind of hegelian dialectic setup where they're mm-hmm. showing this problem they already have the solution waiting they are just making you see that it's a problem now so it's like oh you don't know this but it's going to be a problem we think and then of course when it becomes a problem which it did just three weeks after this paper oh look we have all these answers that's so wonderful uh, and of course, you know, like I said, the connection with Metabiota and it being an insurance company for pandemics, and they just so happen to have one three weeks after the paper. Uh, and that's one of their major investments. And they're still funding Metabiota as recently as 2019. So at least up till this paper, I got their tax filings. They um, were listed in the top five contractors for InQtel on their um, on their 990. So uh, I got that document, and sure enough, the one point six million dollars that they procured, like procured in the last I don't know fiscal year of twenty nineteen. But the idea that they are going to put this kind of planning that offers these kind of random solutions that I don't think the average doctor or even bureaucrat would generally come up with. The fact that they're talking about this living health system that they mm-hmm. want, this living digital system of health. That's what that is, essentially, is just your digital IDs, your digital vaccine passport. It's it's all that. And that's well underway um, in multiple arenas. But the idea that they would need to suggest these things when we know for a fact our government's already working on this. Multiple agencies and organizations are coming up with these frameworks for the digital health. So, you know, the HWO, the CDC, One Health Institute, you can, the list goes on and on and on. How many have one of these? Palantir could do it. They did Operation Warp Speed. So the whole tracking digital system, it's been done. And there's a thousand proposals. The idea that you would need to craft a paper for this when you didn't know there was a pandemic on the horizon, it's just, it doesn't make any sense. Well, and these me, are intelligence, right? They're supposed to be intelligent people. <laughs> <laughs> well, it, to me, it's exactly what you're talking about is that this doesn't feel like this. It doesn't appear this was meant for public consumption, right? So this wasn't about presenting a narrative, more so about outlining the plan or what will uh, later out. You know, that's what it feels like. And and so you're, what the point then becomes is that it's not saying it's not it's not a prediction. It's saying like w- the creation of the perception that we are struggling in our healthcare system is how you then justify the digital health step. Right. That's what it really feels like. And here, here's one of these. Uh, this is within the document preventing the collapse of the healthcare system. So, you know, already 
envisioning the collapse of the healthcare system with something like just that's very, very on the nose. Rationing scarce resources under crisis care conditions and limiting or, or slowing the, tra- the transition away from conventional care should be considered a fundamental national security imperative in the context of a large scale epidemic event. So it's already being set. And then, of course, in this, you know, in general, there's a lot of parts in this to get into the digital health. I mean, it's right in the title, leveraging digital health technologies, right? So the idea of the, like you said, the digital passports, the tracking surveillance of all this stuff, you know, and so it's, it's setting up the idea to create the very next step that then creates the kind of technocratic control structure of our health. It's, you know, acknowledging that. So speak on that if you'd like, I think that's very, very clear. And then let's get into the 5G overlap. I think that's interesting. That's a really interesting one too, right? Um, I, I will say that when I first went through this, and by the way, I don't even know how long I had this document because it wasn't like I stumbled upon it just last week. I, I when I'm in a zone and I'm going through, uh, you know, just my my rabbit hole of information, I am like I am zoned in, and anything else that looks interesting but might not pertain particularly to what I'm on, I always save it. I save everything. Mm-hmm. I you know ten thousand files and so i just happened to you know tag it as inqtel and set it aside and i never even looked at the title or the date i just saw it saved it saw it saved because they're deleting everything so you just have to do that and i just was you know had a, a slow day of research and i was just cleaning out my files and i opened i was like oh oh my gosh this cannot be a real but it was you know but that's the real actual link you cannot find it any other way than through that one particular link and i sent you the the other link that if you were to try to go through b next uh the uh their laboratory which they should have they had a broken link for it but that's all you get is this denial denial mm-hmm. right and so they've deleted it and um but, but the idea that they would set this up in a way that was clearly about technology i think right. is extremely important for people to like understand how how much that means something in this case, because event 201 was not about technology. Mm-hmm. It was not about technology. It was about the, the, the uh, visual response. What is the public going to see? How are we going to react between each other and each other's organizations had nothing to do with technology, 5g. None of those things were really even mentioned. It was more about how are we going to deal with the shock of a pandemic and healthcare system in terms of an on the ground basis and a person to person basis and public appearance. This was completely opposite of that. It did not say anything about public appearance. It didn't say anything about, you know, except for the having authority figures outside mm-hmm. of that. It, they just was no pageantry. There was no imagery to it. It was strictly about procedure and technology. And, and that is important because of who. And what InQtel uh, caters to? What's what's mm-hmm. the point of InQtel? Right. The fundamental point is they are they are to bring you technologies to the CIA and the rest of the Intel community, not well, to bring you anything else but technology. Yeah, or, or just the 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 public facing vision of what they want you to see of that technology, mm-hmm. right? And and yeah. the, the interesting part though, the point though is that all what it all really does show you is that back to that original interview is that this is all an intelligence military agenda all of it and that it's from from beginning to end exactly and it's weird that that's even disputed you know and ultimately and here's another example that we get into the idea of like the telehealth example or Mm -hmm. these things that are in 2019 you know or or really the bigger point of saying that in 2020 
they were calling back vaccine passports or digital health in many mm-hmm. ways a conspiracy theory, even though we know they're here talking about the plan for it. So that's very surreptitious in and of itself. But you also mentioned something that's really stood out to me, which I do think is really interesting. So first they mentioned the, the, the word spectrum is used twice in this document, as mm-hmm. you point out. Right. It's one in the beginning there or rather. Um, where was it? Here we go. That uh, was that the first one. I'll make sure I get the first example. Of I it. think yeah, okay. it's. Yeah, I think it's in the second page or so. Okay. Um, yeah, right here. I don't have so it pulled up. I'm looking at it now. <laughs> so the first one says there will also be a spectrum of illness severity in an infectious disease outbreak, which you pointed out at the beginning of our discussion is, is kind of unprecedented in the concept context yeah. of or the history of these kind of discussions. But then you also note that there's only one other example of this word used in the document, and that's to overlap it with the uh, the wireless spectrum presently in place. Mm-hmm. And that's the 5G discussion that they get into. It's right here, access to 5G improvements and how that affects digital health. So, you know, what, what, is that, what does that say to you? I also find that interesting. I mean, the, it seems as though they know, you know, for, for me, at least in my area, I know that the, the majority of 5G implementation happened in 2020. Most of it around the world was getting implemented in 2020. And that was something that was commonly reported that people would see installers for 5G when everyone else is locked down and wonder what are these vans doing on the street putting up all these cells. Well, they were absolutely not slowing that part down. And when you think about it from a conspiratorial mind or a a suspecting mind, you would think, well, you would never get invested in any sort of plan if you didn't have the tools to carry it out Mm -hmm. and so it seems as though they could not have done it before 2020 the way they want if they want this digital health system and for instance uh operation warp speed would have needed 5g period just to just to get the amount of tracking for over 760 million doses in the u.s alone every single vial went into that that database and and you would have to have extreme bandwidth constantly in every corner just like 5G promised in order to execute it in a DOD fashion, which is exactly what they did. And the pharmacovigilance part of it, right? The actual surveillance of individuals. Yes. And the track and trace. And they mentioned working with companies on there, like they say, Google, Microsoft, Apple. Palantir. Yeah. Palantir. And of course, you know, all those were utilized in one way or another. I have an iPhone. They put without my knowledge or consent, they just put a COVID thing and you can sign out, opt out, which I did. But the point is, it's there and it was on every iPhone, no matter what. So they knew what they needed, however, to have that implemented. And that's the really important thing. It's like, mm-hmm. they didn't just go into this trying to implement it on technology that was outdated, that wouldn't work. They're saying, oh, it just so happens where 5G would be perfect for this. And 5G just so happens to be coming out at the same time. So oh, what a lovely way to execute this, you know? Never right, mind. exactly. Well, so how do you how do you see that exactly? Do you see that being uh, essentially the argument that like the conspiracy of it, which again, I always point this out today, that doesn't mean false story. It means that people conspired to do something, right? Yeah. So the conspiracy, of, the conspiracy possibly being that the rollout was designed to kind of surreptitiously create the digital health, which will be used oh, yeah. to entrap us, or, or do you see it as more of an overlap that the actual illness which I'm open to because I've discussed this as well, could be overlapped with the rollout of this technology. And that's the kind of spectrum of the illness discussion. It's interesting. Yeah, no, that was a very, one of the initial th- claims that people were making at the beginning of COVID. I do remember that 
especially with Wuhan being one of the first places that implemented 5G. And uh, I remember looking personally online to the 5G towers in New York during the Elmhurst. And when you will know it, there was a, a string of them, like an, all of them were close to Elmhurst right there on, on the uh, east side of the of the island. And, and so that was alarming. And I do know from a document, that's a CIA document, a series of documents from 1972, to 1972 um, called 5G millimeter wave biological effects paper, which was Mm -hmm. hidden and kept redacted and in their vault for many, many, many years. And I think it came out 2016 that they released it quietly, but in it, it's very clear. It's actually based on Russians and the Russians information on this, but it's, it's very extensive and 5G millimeter wave 100% has deleterious biological effects, at least according to the CIA, Mm -hmm. Um, you know, whether or not I'm not a doctor, but that's what they say. And they kept that hidden. So I do know it causes effects. Some of them are very flu-like symptoms, um, achiness, and just general unfeeling well and lowered immune system that happens uh, with radiation of, of many any form, pretty much. You, you'll degradate your cells and its integrity. But I think it was more so a, I don't know if it was like an overlap. I think maybe it could have had a negative symptomatic effect on top of it. But I think mm-hmm. 100% this is to bring in the digital ID, the digital platform, because we see it being pushed everywhere. It was a yeah. big deal for transportation. It was a big deal. It's huge in the European Union. It's already adopted this. Norway, Switzerland, Germany, they've already adopted this. It's called the uh, Partnership of the United Nations, the European Commission, and the HWO and the the government of Germany have gone full fledged into this already with the, it's called the global digital health certificate network. Mm. And um, that's documented on the HWO, the UN, all, all those websites. So you can find that they've already done that and they want to expand. That's one of the things they're proposing in these new IHR amendments with the HWO mm. and the pandemic treaty that they're going to, you know, try to push these. And that's a big reason why people need to really push back on those um, right. as soon as possible because we're running out of time but it, it looks like it's for the global digital tracking yeah. more than anything and I um, I, yeah tracking more than anything and I think maybe it was a for their benefit to have negative side effects of it as well right well but it, it, I would agree that it seems I mean I don't even think you can dispute that there's an overlap right because obviously they want the, the, like the technology 5g technology seems very clearly connected it tied in with all of his agendas, the, the smart cities, the internet of nano things, the, the, all these discussions, internet of things, the internet of nano things is one of these newer steps using nanotechnology in the body. Like it's in the crazy. internet of bodies. Yeah. Well, that, well, that the internet of bodies is actually a step before that. Now they're talking about mm-hmm. internet of nano things where they have nanotechnology in your body and that's connected to the internet. It's terrifying. But so the point yeah. is, as you pointed out in your work, the 5g is, is you know integral to that. But I, what I think is interesting and this is what I, I, I don't think I've seen evidence to suggest that 5G is like the sole culprit or that it's even involved necessarily. But I have seen really interesting studies in regard to the effects of it, like you're pointing out, right? Yeah, oxygen, 5G, too, highly ex- affects your oxygen absorption. Um, exactly. That's well documented in those Russian documents. I actually have them printed out because I didn't ever want to lose that mm-hmm. set of papers. But that was definitely one of the things was that all the organs, especially the lungs, were depleted of oxygen levels far below what was considered safe and normal yeah. um, in, in, in animals and human beings. And so that's a concern because what did we see was the big problem. The big killer was really being put on a ventilator, which mm-hmm. was something they determined based on your, your O2 levels. So um, 
that's that's a concern. It's I don't like that coincidence. If it is one, I don't like it. You know, it's a yeah. little too telling for my my taste. Right. Um, What's important to, to, for people to realize, though, is that one of the actually two peer reviewed studies I've seen now, one I think was a Elsevier Science Direct, is just simply finding that the exact symptoms you would find from fi- from EMF sickness, specifically five G. I mean, exactly overlap with what you find with the symptoms they claim are COVID. And that's that's a peer-reviewed study. That's not up for debate. But they yeah. didn't like that. And even pointing out the overlap was censored because they, you know, were trying to they act like making that connection is you saying 5G is causing it. That's just a possibility. They clearly don't want people to consider. So ask these questions, people, because I definitely think it's interesting. But the, the spectrum note in there just it does seem to be an interesting point in that direction as well. The idea that it could be a spectrum of illness potentially tied to this idea or just overlap. But either way, I do agree with you. I think the obvious point is that this is being set up in a surreptitious way because we're being driven into this like technocratic panopticon, this kind of prison of, yeah. you know, control. Go ahead. There's like, there's like, uh, you know, I get so upset about this. And it's the reason why, you know, from like our last interview, I obviously have not let any of this go. And I'm not going to until I flush it all out. Um, I, I host a lot of spaces on Twitter with a lot of vaccine injured people, people that have lost their children, people that have lost their parents. And I hear them crying every day. And it's a horrible grief that they're feeling. And, you know, I tell them, I was like, I'm not gonna let this go. So, you know, if that helps you at all sleep at night, no, I'm not letting it go. And I'm not, you know, because it's horrible what has happened there and nobody's been held accountable. And it seems as though the t- intelligence community has gotten involved in every aspect of this pandemic in one way or another where they shouldn't be. And I don't like the feeling it brings of a totalitarian state of a police state. Cause that's what it feels like. If I see CIA, CIA on everything, uh, yeah. What else? What else am I living in if not a police state, essentially? Yeah. And am I going to be afraid of the Gestapo coming to give me my vaccine? I don't want to. I don't want to worry about that, you know. And I don't oh. want future generations to have that their reality. Um, and, the, go ahead, go ahead. That's saying this is why the, the you know the, the the concern here is obviously the you know the kind of militant control of of our health in general. But the question needs to be whether or not this, as you're pointing out with this earlier document, was not just they're involved where they shouldn't be, but rather they are creating something. And, you know, and that could, you could argue that's based on something that could have organically happened if that's how you see it. But either way, from the beginning of this, this was something that was planned out, you know, whether waiting for something to happen or not, that the CIA, the military, the intelligence, they're all involved with. That's how I see this. And so I'm with you. That's very, that's a terrifying reality. And as the media and everybody else who are, you know, ostensibly there to fact check all of this stuff are absolutely gaslighting everybody about what they're doing. Yeah, I saw you got a strike on our video. <laughs> oh, God, I'm yeah, like, what did I say that was wrong? You know, that, and that's the problem is nobody ever can come up to me with receipts. I always bring the receipts to the table. Right. And then somebody, I got actually threatened for that thread that I post. It's actually in the comments. Somebody threatened me and, you know, apparently pretending to be, I guess, CIA and saying they're going to come get me because of what I posted. And that's like ridiculous. I'm like, what do you have to prove that that's, that you, that even warrants some sort of attack right. when it's information that unfortunately they weren't smart enough to conceal good enough. Like I found it. So it's just not my fault. I'm going to dig. That's what I do. Um, but the, the problem that I think people really need to understand is that, like you said earlier, this was DOD military industrial complex and, and it's very fundament, the, the framework of it, every single contract for the COVID-19s went through NATIC, through the Army acquisition. They're all DOD contracts, every single one. There isn't one that wasn't. Mm-hmm. Um, then, of course, that comes into mind all the military that had had to be vaccinated. Yeah. 
And that to me was the most egregious of all, like the man you had on your show that I watched, you know, I felt for him because I live in a military town. I live near the largest military base in the world. So I have a lot of friends that are military friends that were kicked out of the military. It ruined lives. And the fact that these guys, the military have not just had this happen this one time. We have an example, which I wish we would have learned from, which was Gulf War vaccines and, and the anthrax vaccine. So when that's what happens when you let DOD handle a vaccine, Gulf War illness happens. That's what happens. And so what are we seeing now? Long COVID, which essentially very much mirrors the Gulf War syndrome yeah. and neurological disorders. So, you know, that's what happens when you give these untested vaccines that you allow the government to manufacture and demand you take or you're fired. And that did not end well for Gulf War veterans. It's not going to end well with COVID. And I think we should have seen this coming uh, when it came to the Gulf War, like that was obviously they we have to separate them, but they don't want a separation. They want collaboration between the public private partnership. Um, yeah, absolutely. Yeah. And well said, I think, you know, I think that's very clear to anybody that, you know, cares to look that there's something wrong here. And it's it's, it's I mean, I'll, I'll actually end today with a clip about the swine flu in the 70s. And it's the same thing that it started in a you know, U.S. military location that ultimately they were forced to take it. That they had no evidence it was helpful. Oh, it turned out to kill a lot of people, you know, or in this case, it was neurological illnesses and some death, you know, and this is a alarmingly, I mean, it just happens almost every time. And I don't, I'm trying to scare people away because that's the truth, it feels like. But there's people are so on guard to these topics that they just don't want to hear that. But you can look yeah. back at almost every one of these military-involved deployments of these injections and it never goes the way they say it does it tends to hurt people yeah. and, and you I find the same people involved too tarot tool deborah burks anthony fauci yeah uh, robert redfield you'll see the same names pop up for the same not the same diseases but over the same instances of outbreaks and pestilence their name is tied to it and not one of those instances did they ever come up with a a, a safe and effective product for any of those illnesses that if anything found you killed people with AZT. Uh, mm-hmm. It was a horrible protocol. And, and most virologists today will agree that that was an awful uh, plan of action. We have better therapeutics for AIDS now, but that was a death sentence when Fauci was in control. That's and um, right. Remdesivir. Yeah. Exactly. It's going to be so upset thinking about that. Yeah, well, because he, he he is in 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 integral part in why that's now being used, despite the Ebola trial with New England Journal of Medicine showing over fifty percent being killed by it. You know, it's it is it's, and I know you know all this. You know, it, it's it yeah. is it's very upsetting because it's so very obvious. It's right on the surface yeah. of all this. And you know, the, the first guy who did the actual testing for that particular uh, rem, for remdesivir, they call it like GS one four seven five or something in the actual. Uh, clinical trial data, but the first person to do the actual gain of function work on this, when you look on something called Reporter by NIH, which tells you all of the clinical trials and all the tests that they do um, in terms of what the contract is for whatever gain of function research it is. When you look into the first ones for remdesivir, it comes back to principal investigator Ralph Barrick. Of course. And it's just, it's, it's maddening. It's beyond maddening. Because, you know, how many times can, you know, you have the same thing happen over and over. And meanwhile, they call you a conspiracy theorist for pointing out reoccurrences that statistically are not possible without some sort of former correlation. And they want to treat you like you're the crazy one when, you know, the reality is, you know, crazy definition. But, you know, the the old saying is that it's repeating Mm -hmm. yourself over and over, expecting different results. I don't know. 
I wish it was different results. Unfortunately, it's the same people over and over. And that makes me feel crazy because no one else is acknowledging it except for the people that are getting injured and getting censored. They're the ones who acknowledge it. And it's, that's why they're censored. I I agree. Well, one last point and then I'll 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 let you kind of give any final comments on the thread and so on. It's just, it's things like this that just, it's, I'd like to believe more people see it than we're able to kind of discern because we don't have ways to kind of, you know, we, we still operate through the corporate media perspective because that there's no other place you really get some kind of majority opinion. And we're, I think we're being lied to about what most people think today in, a, in an absolutely very clear way, but you got things like this and this, that's, this is Mr. Barrick here. We're looking at, and you know, the idea of us funded research on coronavirus induced myocarditis in the nineties, they quite literally, and the documents are included, studied how to induce myocarditis using coronavirus in rabbits multiple studies and yet we can't you know these things are just kind of not in part of the conversation it just kind of makes me you know it, it, it's frustrating so I'm, I'm glad your work is continuing to get noticed because what you're highlighting are things that clearly people are uncomfortable with and they don't they don't want people to talk about so yeah this was a this was a prize finding this document it was really one in a million i haven't seen anybody else even talk about it remotely because i really don't think anyone else has found it um because my searches came up with nothing but that one paper after that. So uh, I hope I'm hoping this gets to somebody in Congress, somebody who can see it that has far more reach than I do that can demand. I would love to see something like the Senator church committee hearings that they had back in the seventies. I would like to see that where they bring in the intelligence community to answer some questions. And that's all I'm asking is at least that for the people that I know that are vaccine injured at least they deserve some answered questions and, you know, an open testimony. So that would be my hope, you know, Senator Ron Johnson or Rand Paul or somebody who cares to see this. And, and the tie with Intel community doesn't stop there because you got USAID. And right. I did my second thread. I don't know if you saw, I had a two part to that one. There's a second thread after that where I go deep into why that was concerning with NQTEL being having this paper. It's because NQTEL is virtually CIA. Um, most of the members of Incutel are former CIA. They work with in conjunction with the CIA. It's fair enough to say they're an offshoot of the CIA. And recently, yeah. RFK Jr. said in the Tucker Carlson report, USAID is a offshoot of the CIA. And that's right. that's believed in almost every country that's not us, that's publicly known to other countries. Because right. we've gone there, we've caused problems. And right. it's been CIA. And so we're having this constant theme of, military industrial complex and intelligence community in every turn with no sign of stopping and nobody's held accountable. We just saw in Congress, FBI whistleblowers and, and you, the people were treated horribly for mm. whistleblowing. And, you know, same with Dr. Andrew Huff, who confirmed also Peter Daszak confronted him about working with the CIA at Eco Health Alliance a couple of years before going to Wuhan and was interested particularly in Wuhan and what they were doing there, which would be this work. So I see a constant stream of uh, intel going between these laboratories and these technologies and the intelligence community seems to be either what's profiting or what's pushing this. Mm-hmm. And that should should bother people. This is the, you know, the most intensive, scary, professional people in the world these are this is the cia this is what nancy pelosi's nightmares were made out of and other countries worry about it's not really the army or navy they worry about our intelligence community because they're who finds you they're you know they might be taken out by military but the cia and palantir and people like that they're who's finding you you know they're going to yeah. find you and that's the problem that um 
the five eyes, for instance, and everything Snowden was looking into, this is all intelligence community. I don't want them touching my health. Yeah, I, I agree. I, I think this is, it's a terrifying thing. That's why I think most people are so afraid to kind of acknowledge the real picture here, because I mean, I think the, the bigger picture, even, you know, overlapping, like you mentioned, RFK Jr. And going back to the assassination of, you know, it, it's so clear that at some point there was a break where these people are at the very least completely unaccountable, if not completely. Oh, yeah. Right. And, and that's, that's the common thing for John F. Kennedy. That's the belief. I have John F. Kennedy's books right beside me. I have all right. his books. Um, big, big, huge fan of JFK. I'm very, you know, and I am biased against the intelligence community because my beliefs of their involvement, which even Tucker right. Carlson, before he was fired, uh, covered that when they, you know, went over the documents that were released recently. And that's apparent when you just look at the anything about the JFK assassination and Alan Dulles and how he had fired him right before you know, before his trip to Dallas said he was going to scatter the, you know, CIA into a thousand pieces and, sh- and toss them into the wind. He was going to get dismantle them. And then there's the burn notice that came out that they found half burned in a, you know, in a fireplace that said Lancer's asking about, you know, project blue book. What are we going to do? We have to take care of this. And Lancer was the code name by the CIA for John, for John F. Kennedy. So, and then of course who headed the Warren commission, but Alan Dulles, the man who fired the CIA and his understudy was George H.W. Bush. And you see how it just gets deeper and deeper. And so that's the, probably the most guarded conspiracy in United States history. That, and you can link that with, you know, maybe, maybe comparison, the moon landing, you know, those are the two top tier conspiracies. Third mm-hmm. place would be Roswell, but they're all really connected with that space age era. There's something that happened back then and Kennedy saw it and he said that there isn't, he warned about this. If people want to know, you can go to JFK's library. Every, every president gets a library when they're done with the presidency. He has all the speeches up there and my favorite one, I almost know it by heart, <laughs> from April 27th, 1961 to the Newspaper Association. He has that speech that most people are familiar with now that is about the secret societies and how this is a um, an apparatus that no democracy would ever hope or wish to match. He's talking about essentially what we call the deep state these days. Right. And um, that 100% looked like a reference in every way you could think of it to the CIA. He said they had diplomatic, intelligence, economic, financial. They had everything under their disposal. And there's only one group that gets that, that only answers to one person. And that's really the CIA. Right. And um, we see the the perversion of the USAID program, which was Kennedy's program. And that has been infiltrated by CIA. And I could just see Alan Dulles being the kind of person that would ruin that because he was so upset with John F. Kennedy. So yeah. it brings up a lot, you know, it makes me wonder if, you know, if RFK Jr. wins presidency, which I would be completely fine with. Um, you know, I, I have high hopes for him. Uh, and, you know, I would fear for his life a bit, of course, mm-hmm. um, just because the family history. But I would like to see if if somebody can get a hold of what's going on with the infiltration of CIA to other agencies like the NEA and mm-hmm. USAID to root them out, you know, yeah. really separate the powers. I I frankly think it's wholesale. I mean, they're not, I don't think they, if they ever existed in independent agencies, I don't think they exist anymore today. And I think that's kind of the bigger point that at least in my opinion that I worry about is whether at that kind of this time frame we're talking about, if it was right that moment or just after that, there was a moment where this group kind of, uh, you, I mean, you could even point to Reagan and the co- the creation of the shadow government concept, yeah. the continuity of government idea that really kind of broke this into something that is no longer even accountable 
to the people yeah. in the White House, you know? And so I think that's what this stuff is important. Why you're doing is important or what you're doing is important because it shows people this, this unaccountable connection to all of the bigger things they're dealing with. And I would even want to go farther to argue that things like Pearl Harbor, 9-11, COVID-19 were these inflection moments and events that were, used yeah. were created, you know? That we There's to be too many to things that say the intelligence community is involved. Why mm -hmm. haven't they released the John F. Kennedy files? It's been, you know, what is it? 60 years. <laughs> they, everyone is dead except for his daughter, Carolyn, who was, I believe in her sixties now, RFK Jr. Of course, as well as the nephew, but his, his son's dead. The wife is dead. They're, what is the point? Even everyone involved in, including Alan Dulles, they're, they're long gone. It's, and it's so the question saying. is, why aren't they allowing this out? It's because, and just like Tucker made this, um, you know, assumption, it's not because they're hiding a person or protecting a person. They're protecting an establishment. Right. And, and that's the problem. And then, that shows what's going on, you know? And, mm -hmm. and so they already are lacking so much credibility right now that I understand them taking this last thing. That's going to be the straw that breaks them and saying, no, you can't have it. Mm -hmm. You can't have it because for national security, you know, for your security, CIA, for your security, for your yeah. health security, for your birth security. It's all for you guys. <laughs> We're breaking everything just for you. Well, th thank you for joining me again today. I really, I really enjoyed Good talking pleasure. with you. I, I think that your, your threads are important and I'll continue to keep an eye on them in general. Anything else you want to leave us with today? Upcoming work, other things you have coming um, out? Yeah, I'm, I'm working on, I got the tax returns. I'm about to post those up today with the link to the actual ones, linking them with Metabiota. What's really interesting is if people look into the other named companies, the other four listed there, they're, they're like nothing companies. Like, like they, one's like a, a floral, like bathroom design company makes, I mean, they got $2 million. Uh, I'm like, what are they putting like beautiful decoupage bathrooms in the CIA? I don't know what's going on. It's just baloney. It's a shell company. Yeah. And, um, you know, so I'm working on that. I'm working on uh, Hunter Biden documents, just everything that has to do with USAID, which I now have the documents proving Burisma was working with USAID right before the story broke. In fact, that's why they erased it from Burisma's website because of Hunter Biden's relations. And so um, I'm going to be doing a deep dive in the next few weeks, if not how long it takes me uh, into USAID and see what they have really got their fingers into, because I, I know a lot that they've got it in and it's already unacceptable, but I, I already know it's going to be something horribly surprising the more I look. Yeah. Yeah, right. Exactly. It always tends to be, doesn't it? Well, thank you. And, and make sure you keep an eye on her on her account, her sub stack and her website, which we'll include in the show notes. And uh, thank you for joining me. And I, we'll, we'll end with the swine flu deception clip. Yeah. Um, I just think it's a, a good point to make. This is not new and it's probably going to happen again, unfortunately. So stay attuned, stay on guard. And as always, yeah. question everything. Come to your own conclusions. Stay vigilant. The swine flu scare of 1976, that was the year the U.S. government told us all that swine flu could turn out to be a killer that could spread across the nation. And Washington decided that every man, woman, and child in the nation should get a shot to prevent a nationwide outbreak, a pandemic. Well, 46 million of us obediently took the shot. And now 4,000 Americans are claiming damages from Uncle Sam amounting to $3.5 billion because of what happened when they took that shot. By far the greatest number of the claims, two-thirds of them, are for neurological damage or even death, allegedly triggered by the flu shot. We pick up the story back in 1976 when the threat posed by the swine flu virus seemed very real indeed. Where did this so-called deadly variety of flu, where did it first hit back in 1976? It began right here at Fort Dix in New Jersey in January of that year when a number of recruits 
began to complain of respiratory ailments, something like the common cold. Dr. David Sensor, then head of the CDC, the Center for Disease Control in Atlanta, is now in private industry. He devised the swine flu program, and he pushed it. You began to give flu shots to the American people in October of 76. October 1st. By that time, how many cases of swine flu around the world had been reported? There had been uh, several reported, but none confirmed. There had been cases in uh, uh, Australia that were reported by the press, uh, by the news media. There were cases in... Uh, none confirmed. Did you ever uncover any other outbreaks of swine flu anywhere in the world? No. Now, nearly everyone was to receive the shot in a public health facility where a doctor might not be present. Therefore, it was up to the CDC to come up with some kind of official consent form, giving the public all the information it needed about the swine flu shot. This form stated that the swine flu vaccine had been tested. What it didn't say was that after those tests were completed, the scientists developed another vaccine, and that was the one given to most of the 46 million who took the shot. That vaccine was called X53A. Was X53A ever field tested? Uh, I, I can't say. I would have to... Uh, it wasn't. I don't know. Well, I would think that you're in charge of the program. I would have to check uh, the records. I haven't uh, looked at this in some time. Did anyone ever come to you and say, you know something, fellas? There's the possibility of neurological damage if you get into a mass immunization program. No. No one ever did? No. Do you know Michael Hatwick? Yes. Mm -hmm. Dr. Michael Hatwick directed the surveillance team for the swine flu program at the CDC. His job was to find out what possible complications could arise from taking the shot and to report his findings to those in charge. Did you know ahead of time, Dr. Hatwick, that there had been case reports of neurological disorders, neurological illness, apparently associated with the injection of influenza vaccine? Absolutely. You did? Yes. How'd you know that? By review of the literature. So you told your superiors, the men in charge of the swine flu immunization program, about the possibility of neurological disorders? Absolutely. What would you say if I told you that your superiors say that you never told them about the possibility of neurological complications? That's nonsense. I can't believe that they would say that they did not know that there were neurological illnesses associated with influenza vaccination. That simply is not true. We did know that. I've said that Dr. Hatwick had never told me of uh, his feelings on this subject. Uh, then he's lying. I guess you would have to um, make that assumption. Then why does this report from your own agency, dated July 1976, list neurological complications as a possibility? I think the uh, consensus of uh, the scientific community was that the evidence relating neurologic disorders to influenza immunization uh, was such that they did not feel that this association was a real one. You didn't feel it was necessary to tell the American people that information? Uh, I think that uh, over the, the years we have tried to inform the American people as, as fully